0: Chapter 39 of Arima. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. Arima by R. D. Blackmore. Chapter 39, Not at Home. Mrs. Hawkin, however, had not the pleasure promised her by the fastidious major of seeing me make up to my grandmamma. For although we set off at once to catch the strange woman who had roused so much curiosity, and though, as we passed the door of Bruntland's we saw her still at her post in the valley, like Major Hawkins' new letter-box, for some reason best known to herself we could not see any more of her. For, hurry as he might upon other occasions, nothing would make the Major cut a corner of his winding drive when descending it with the visitor. He enjoyed every yard of its length, because it was his own at every step, and he counted the paces in an undertone, to be sure of the length, for perhaps the thousandth time. It was long enough in a straight line, one would have thought, but he was not the one who thought so, and therefore he had doubled it by judicious windings, as if for the purpose of breaking the descent. Three hundred and twenty-one, he said, as he came to a post where he meant to have a lodge as soon as his wife would let him. Now, the woman stands fifty-five yards on, at a spot where I mean to have an ornamental bridge because our fine saline element runs up there when the new moon is perigree. My dear, I am a little out of breath, which affects my sight for the moment. Doubtless that is why I do not see her. If I may offer an opinion, I said, in my ignorance of all the changes you have made, the reason why we do not see her may be that she has gone out of sight. Impossible! Major Hawkins cried. Simply impossible, Arima. She never moves for an hour and a half. "'And she was not come, was she, when you came by?' "'I will not be certain,' I answered, "'but I think that I must have seen her if she had been there, "'because I was looking about particularly at all your works as we came by.' "'Then she must still be there. Let us tackle her.' "'This was easier said than done, "'for we found no sign of anybody at the place "'where she certainly had been standing less than five minutes ago. "'We stood at the very end and last corner of the ancient river trough.' where a little seam went inland from it, as if some trifle of a brook had stolen down while it found good river to welcome it. But now there was only a little oozy gloss from the gleam of the sun upon some lees of marshy brine left among the rushes by the last high tide. "'You see my new road and the key to my intentions,' said the Major, forgetting all about his witch and flourishing his geological hammer while standing thus at his nucleus." To understand all, you have only to stand here. You see those leveling posts, adjusted with scientific accuracy. You see all those angles, calculated with micrometric precision. You see how the curves are radiated. It is very beautiful, I have no doubt, but you cannot have Uncle Sam's gift of machinery. And do you understand every bit of it yourself? Arima, not a jot of it. I like to talk about it freely when i can because i see all its beauties but as to understanding it my dear you might set too if you were an educated female and deliver me a lecture upon my own plan intellect is in such matters a bubble i know good bricks good mortar and good foundation with your great ability you must do that i answered very gently being touched with his humility and allowance of my opinion you will make a noble town of it but when is the railway coming? Not yet. We have first to get our act, and a miserable-minded wretch who owns nothing but a rabbit warren means to oppose it. Don't let us talk of him. It puts one out of patience when a man cannot see his own interest. But come, and see our assembly rooms, Literary Institute, baths, etc., etc. That is what we are urging forward now. But may I not go first, and look for my strange namesake? Would it be wrong of me to call upon her?" "'No harm whatever,' replied my companion. "'Likewise, no good. Call fifty times, but you will get no answer. However, it is not a very great round, and you will understand my plans more clearly. Step out, my dear, as if you had a troop of Mexicans after you. Ah, what a fine turn for that lot now!' He was thinking of the war which had broken out, and the Battle of Bull's Run. Without any such headlong speed we soon came to the dwelling-place of the stranger, and really for once the good major had not much overdone his description. Truly it was almost tumbling down, though massively built, and a good house long ago, and it looked the more miserable now from being placed in a hollow of the ground, whose slopes were tufted with rushes and thistles and ragwort. The lower windows were blocked up from within, the upper were shattered and crumbling and dangerous. "'with blocks of cracked stone jutting over them, "'and the last surviving chimney gave smoke "'less than a workman's homeward whiff of his pipe "'to comfort and relieve the air. "'The only door we could see was of heavy black oak "'without any knocker, but I clenched my hand, "'having thick gloves on, and made what I thought "'was a very creditable knock, while the Major stood by, "'with his blue lights up, and keenly gazed and gently smiled. "'Knock again, my dear,' he said, you don't knock half-hard enough.' I knocked again with all my might, and got a bruised hand for a fortnight, but there was not even the momentary content produced by an active echo. The door was as dead as everything else. "'Now for my hammer,' my companion cried. "'This house, in all sound law, is my own. I will have a John Doe and Richard Rowe, a fine act of ejectment. Shall I be barred out upon my own manner? With hot indignation he swung his hammer, but nothing came of it except more noise. Then the major grew warm and angry. My charter contains the right of burning witches or drowning them, according to their color. The execution is simply imposed upon the bailiff of this ancient town, and he is my own pickled pork man. His name is Hopkins, and I will have him out with his seal and stick and all the rest. Am I to be laughed at this way? For we thought we heard a little screech of laughter from the loneliness of the deep dark place, but no other answer came, and perhaps it was only our imagining. Is there no other door, perhaps one at the back? I asked, as the lord of the manor stamped. No, that has been walled up long ago. The villain has defied me from the very first. Well, we shall see. This is all very fine. You witness that they deny the owner entrance? Undoubtedly I can depose to that, but we must not waste your valuable time. After all, the poor ruin is worthless, he went on, calming down as we retired. It must be leveled, and that hole filled up. It is quite an eyesore to our new parade, and no doubt it belongs to me, no doubt it does. The fellow who claims it was turned out of the law. Fancy any man turned out of the law. Arima, in all your far west experience, did you ever see a man bad enough to be turned out of the law?" Major Hawkin, how can I tell? But I fear that their practice was very, very sad, and they very nearly always used to hang them. The best use, the best use a rogue can be put to. Some big thief has put it the opposite way, because he was afraid of his own turn. The Constitution must be upheld, and by the Lord it shall be, at any rate, in East Brunswick. West Brunswick is all a smallpox worn out of my control, and a skewer in my flesh." and some of my tenants have gone across the line to snap their dirty hands at me. Being once in this queue, Major Hawken went on, not talking to me much, but rather to himself, though expecting me now and then to say yes, and this I did when necessary, for his principles of action were beyond all challenge, and the only question was how he carried them out. He took me to his rampart, which was very sure to stop the sea, and at the same time to afford the finest place in all Great Britain for a view of it even an invalid might sit here in perfect shelter from the heaviest gale and watch such billows as were not to be seen except upon the major's property the reason of that is quite simple he said and any child may see the force of it in no other part of the kingdom can you find so steep a beach fronting the southwest winds which are ten to one of all other winds without any break of sand or rock outside hence we have what you cannot have on a shallow shore grand rollers "'Straight from the very Atlantic, Arima. you and I have seen them. "'You may see by the map that they all end up here, "'with the wind in the proper quarter. "'Oh, please do not talk of such horrors,' I said. "'Why, your ramparts would go like pie-crust.' "'The Major smiled a superior smile, "'and after more talk we went home to dinner. "'From something more than curiosity I waited at Brunsy for a day or two, "'hoping to see that strange namesake of mine "'who had shown so much in hospitality.' for she must have been at home when we made that pressing call, inasmuch as there was no other place to hide within the needful distance of the spot where she had stood. But the longer I waited, the less would she come out, to borrow a good Irishman's expression, and the Major's pillar-box, her favorite resort, was left in conspicuous solitude. And when a letter came from Sir Montague Hawkin, asking leave to be at Bruntland's on the following evening, I packed up my goods with all haste, and set off, not an hour too soon, for Shoxford." But before leaving these kind friends, I begged them to do for me one little thing, without asking me to explain my reason, which, indeed, was more than I could do. I begged them, not of course, to watch Sir Montague, for that they could not well do to a guest, but simply to keep their eyes open, and prepared for any sign of intercourse, if such there were, between this gentleman and that strange interloper. Major Hawkins stared, and his wife looked at me as if my poor mind must have gone astray and even to myself my own thought appeared absurd. Remembering, however, what Sir Montague had said, and other little things as well, I did not laugh as they did. But perhaps one part of my conduct was not right, though the wrong, if any, had been done before that. To wit, I had faithfully promised Mrs. Price not to say a word at Bruntland's about their visitor's low and sinful treachery toward my cousin. To give such a promise had, perhaps, been wrong, but still, without it, I should have heard nothing of the matters that concerned me nearly. And now it seemed almost worse to keep than to break such a pledge, when I thought of a pious, pure-minded, and holy-hearted woman, like my dear Aunt Mary, unwittingly brought into friendly contact with a man of the lowest nature. And as for the major, instead of sitting down with such a man to dinner, what would he have done but drive him straight away from the door, and chase him to the utmost verge of his manner with the peak end of his geological hammer? However, away I went without a word against that contemptible and base man, toward whom, though he never had injured me, I cherished, for my poor cousin's sake, the implacable hatred of virtuous youth. And a wild idea had occurred to me, as many wild ideas did now in the crowd of things gathering round me, that this strange woman, concealed from the world, yet keenly watching for some members of it, might be that fallen and miserable creature who had fled from a good man with a bad one. "'because he was more like herself. "'Flittimore, Lady Castlewood. "'Not that she could be an old woman yet, "'but she might look old, "'either by disguise or through her own wickedness, "'and everybody knows how suddenly "'those southern beauties fall off, "'alike in face and figure. "'Mrs. Price had not told me what became of her, "'or even whether she was dead or alive, "'but merely said, with a meaning look, "'that she was punished for her sin, "'and I had not ventured to inquire how, the subject being so distasteful. To my great surprise and uneasiness as well, I had found at Bruntland's no letter whatever, either to the Major or myself, from Uncle Sam, or any other person at the sawmills. There had not been time for an answer to my letter of some two months back, yet, being alarmed by the Sawyer's last tidings, I longed with some terror for later news, and all the United Kingdom was now watching with tender interest the dismemberment as it almost appeared, of the other mighty union. Not with malice or snug satisfaction, as the men of the North in their agony said, but certainly without any proper anguish yet, and rather as a genial and sprightly spectator, whose love of fair play perhaps kindles his applause of the spirit and skill of the weaker side. Tis a good fight. Let them fight it out," seemed to be the general sentiment. But in spite of some American vaunt and menace, which of late years has been galling, "'every true Englishman deeply would have mourned the humiliation of his kindred. "'In this anxiety for news, I begged that my letters might be forwarded "'under cover to the postmistress at Shoxford and bearing my initials. "'For now I had made up my mind to let Mrs. Busk know whatever I could tell her. "'I had found her a cross and well-educated woman, far above her neighbours, "'and determined to remain so. "'Gossip, that universal leveller, theoretically she despised.' and she had the magnificent esteem for rank, which worked so beautifully in England. And now, when my good nurse reasonably said that, much as she loved to be with me, her business would allow that delight no longer, and it also came home to my own mind, that money would be running short again, and small hope left in this dreadful civil war of our nugget escaping pillage, which made me shudder horribly at internal discord. I did just this. I dismissed Betsy. Or rather, I let her dismiss herself which she might not have altogether meant to do, although she threatened it so often. For here she had nothing to do but live well, and protest against tricks of her own profession, which she practised as necessary laws at home, and so, with much affection, for the time we parted. Mrs. Brusk was delighted at her departure, for she never had liked to be criticised so keenly while she was doing her very best. As soon as the wheels of Betsy's flies had shown their last spoke at the corner, she told me, with a smile, that her mind had been made up to give us notice that very evening to seek for better lodgings. But she could not wish for a quieter, pleasanter, or more easily pleased young lady than I was without any mischief-maker, and so, on the spur of the moment, I took her into my own room, while her little girl minded the shop, and there and then I told her who I was and what I wanted. And now she behaved most admirably— instead of expressing surprise, she assured me that all along she had felt there was something, and that I must be somebody. Lovely as my paintings were, which I never heard before or since from any impartial censor, she had known that it could not be that alone which kept me so long in their happy valley, and now she did hope I would do her the honor to stay beneath her humble roof, though entitled to one so different, and was the fairy ring in the churchyard made of all my family." I replied that too surely this was so, and that nothing would please me better than to find, according to my stature, room to sleep inside it as soon as ever I should have solved the mystery of its origin. At the moment this was no exaggeration, so depressing was the sense of fighting against the unknown so long, with scarcely any one to stand by me or avenge me if I fell, and Betsy's departure, though I tried to take it mildly, had left me with a readiness to catch my breath. But to dwell upon sadness no more than need be, as sure as hunger, it was manifest now to my wondering mind that once more I had chanced upon a good and warm and steadfast heart. Everybody is said to be born, whether that happens by night or day, with a certain little widowed star, which has lost its previous mortal, concentrating from a billion billion of miles or leagues or larger measure, intense but generally invisible radiance upon him or her. And to take for the moment this old fable, as of serious meaning, my star was to find bad facts at a glance, but no bad folk without long gaze End of chapter thirty nine